completely myself. So I'm just going to continue trusting my gut and posting what I what I want to post and what, what makes me happy. And the videos are definitely part of it, but there's no intention for me to be known or anything. It's just a, just me just enjoying the process. Hello, my beautiful friends and community. Welcome back to a Sharper Life podcast. If you are new to the show, welcome. I am so thrilled that you're here. And if you're not new, you know what I'm about to say. I am Nikki Sharp, your host. And each and every week, we dive into a topic relating to a pillar in life that we all experience. Whether it's overcoming traumas in your life in order to become your best self, giving you the best tips to improve your relationships, and yes, sex life, wink, wink, and also travel hacking so that you can make the most out of all of your travel plans. And yes, these are all past episodes, so be sure to scroll through the archives and have a listen. During these episodes, I offer my own experiences sharing openly and vulnerably, and I also bring on incredible guests to share their stories and expert knowledge. Now, today, I have the man behind the account of Super Snake, a famous and incredibly funny Instagram account. I highly, highly recommend giving him a follow as he posts satires of high society that you'll relate to, you'll laugh about, and honestly, you'll want to share with your friends. So Super Snake, I actually found during the pandemic, I think just when it started, maybe a little bit earlier. And I immediately just loved the humor in everything that was posted. I loved the the making fun of people. And honestly, no one is safe on this account. And that's just what makes it so fun that it's not like any one person is getting singled out. But it's very relatable if you've experienced any of this sort of memes or the, the societies that he posts about. And for many years, he kept himself anonymous, never sharing his face, who he was, until recently. And so I am honored to have the man behind this incredible account. And it is one hell of an interview. So we talk about everything ranging from his cancer that he experienced and what that was like as a, a young man going through that and his inspiration on helping other people to take control of their health. We go over everything from what it's like to live this lifestyle and to be the creator of an account where you're living and breathing and, and being in this society. And we also talk about just what it means to do the self work and the importance of it, the importance of finding people that will raise your vibration and inspire you. And a really big topic, topic that we talk about is why it is so important not to tear people down on social media. And you will learn so much more. I highly, highly recommend listening to the very end because it just keeps getting deeper and juicier. And you're going to learn so much about someone who has previously kept his identity totally anonymous. Now, if you are new to the show and you enjoy it, please be sure to give it a five-star review and what you enjoyed about this episode as it helps other people find out about the world-class interviews and all the tips to change your life. And sharing is caring. So if you find inspiration or you enjoy it, please do share this episode with a friend, a family member. And if you've ever followed the account Super Snake and shared one of his memes, definitely share this episode. You're not going to regret it. And without further ado, here's Super Snake. I am so pleased to have you, Super Snake, who keeps your name anonymous. So welcome to A Sharper Life. Thank you for having me. And yeah, it's pretty easy to find out what my name is, but I just thought... <laughs> It's not a massive secret. It keeps it a little mysterious, which is fine. So yeah, you've, you've been labeled the meme queen as you troll high society. So walk us through exactly what Super Snake is and how it started. I mean, so just to clarify, the, the meme queen uh, <laughs> moniker was, was when people didn't know who I was and whether I was male or female. So... That was just, I, I forget who wrote that. It was some article. Um, 
Uh, it's kind of difficult to describe what that is. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a king or a queen of making memes. I think I'm more of a specialized voice on on high society and kind of the ecosystem surrounding that, um, what I call the jet set and the, the party circuit, which is essentially you know, a group of people that are united traveling the world for events that could be in music or film or art or sports or whatever it may be. So whether, you know, Coachella or Burning Man or Formula One or Wimbledon or Mykonos, um, there's a group of people that tend to congregate and go to those events. So you do see familiar faces. And I like to think that I'm, I guess, the voice of that world. Um, which is which is highly niche, but at the same time is quite aspirational. I think a lot of people want to know what goes on within it, want to, want to be part of it, um, tend to glorify it without knowing about it because um, they assume it's super glamorous and, and exclusive and cool and fun. But I kind of, um, as much as I'm doing this for the people that are already in the world, I think it's a lot for the people that are not. Um, and it's just to kind of shed a light on the fact that it's not as glamorous as, as you might think, but it is glamorous too. <laughs> and so you started the account in 2018 from what I've read as a bet between you and friends. Can you walk mm-hmm. us through how the account actually started and why you chose this specific theme of the rich, the famous, and almost like the wannabes of this lifestyle? Yeah, so so like you said, it was um, I was having dinner with friends in London, and we started talking about Instagram and memes and all that stuff. And I think the friend that was sitting across from me just randomly said, "Oh, if I had a meme page, it would, it would be better than yours." And then looked at me, and um, and at the time, I was kind of I wasn't doing this professionally at all. I wasn't even. I mean, I had my personal account that I was posting from, but it was I would do like funny stuff once in a while. And I kind of took umbrage to that. And I was like, no, I would be a lot better than you. Um, and so we decided to make a bet. And we said, look, okay, we'll both make Instagram pages tomorrow. Um, and whoever has the most amount of followers in three months wins the bet. And that's how it started. So the next day, I got up and the friend of mine that I, that I worked on the page with briefly at the start had to come up with a name. Um, and he left that to me. And somehow... I wanted to incorporate snake into it. I thought, you know, snake is always an animal that I associate with like talking behind your back and kind of like a snaky person in society. We'd, we'd always label people snakes. Um, that was kind of often part of our discourse in our, in our friendship group. So I chose snake and then all of the names that I wanted were taken. So I eventually <laughs> got super slutty snake. Um, don't ask me how, how I got there. It's just random. And then uh, ended up shedding the the slutty part at some point. So yeah, that's that's the origin. Um, and so, what happened bizarre. with your your friend's account? I, uh, I'm assuming you won the bet. Did he keep going with his meme account? Yeah, we. I did win the bet. I think he, him, and his friend accused me of um, of like buying followers and stuff. So it was a bit of a a messy bet in the end. So no one actually like won or lost, but. He still posts on his page once in a while, um, but not super regularly at all. And, um, and you know, those, those two other guys both work in finance. That's their day job. And they're not really interested in Instagram. But I decided to make it a career um, <laughs> as bizarrely as, as that is. Um, and yeah, I'm grateful for it. Amazing. And would you say then Super Snake? And I actually remember when you dropped the slutty and I'm like, where did it go? Where did Super Slutty? I thought your account got deleted. But so you dropped the the name, the slutty, I'm assuming for obvious reasons, maybe political or or easy. I don't know if there's a specific reason on that, but I can tell you. Yeah, Um, it was nothing, nothing political or nothing related to censorship, even though people at Facebook had told me that having that in the name could be problematic in terms of, you know, the account being shared on the explore page and blah, blah, blah. But it was, it was genuinely because it was at the point when I was starting to monetize um, the account and, and make it a full-time thing, which is what you have to do at some stage to kind of sustain a career. And, um, and I kept on hearing from brands you know, we love you. We love what you do. You're a great writer. However, we will not be able to work with you with that name. Um, 
And the slutty thing was, I think, is more of an issue than, let's say, fuck Jerry or <laughs> all these other accounts like, you know, the fat Jewish. Um, slut has that, I guess, you know, negative connotation, even though my the way that it was used in my name was not that. I mean, I was essentially referring to myself as a super slutty snake and, and, and all of my followers. And we kind of joined in on that kind of that idea. But brands just just flat out said to me, we cannot work with you. So once I heard that 10 t different times from brands, especially big ones as well, I mean, one of them was Diageo, which is, you know, obviously a massive conglomerate of alcohol brands. Um, I was like, okay, I've got to do something about this. Got it. And so would you say that your career is a full-time memeologist? And if so, how are you actually monetizing your page? Because from my awareness, I don't see you doing maybe brand collaborations, but however you do it is clearly working because I don't see the like sales side of it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, a gray area um, because... I know that you're meant to declare every single time. Um, and, you know, kind of off the record, I don't because <laughs> I always mention brands. So, and I've been doing that kind of since the beginning. So I think it's very difficult to distinguish whether I'm doing a branded post or not. I think now sometimes if, it, if it's quite obvious, I will, I'll declare it. And most of the time I do now because the page has gotten bigger. Um, but at the start, I, I wasn't really doing that. But also I, I only work with brands that I like. And so a lot of the, the, the posts related to brands are about, um, you know, me giving my opinion on them or doing one of those starter pack things where I mention them kind of in a positive light. So I just thought, well, if it just slots in seamlessly with those other brands, then it's fine. Um, so, you know, brand deals are definitely the, the biggest portion of how I make my money. Um, I, I did some, I used to make products, so caps and clothes and and, you know, merchandise, but like very high quality stuff. I stopped doing that um, just because it's a lot of work and not very good money. Um, and I do a lot of other random things. Like I, I consult for brands. Um, so you, you wouldn't see that, but that's just separately. Um, and then I'm working now in TV a lot. So developing shows, although that's not, that hasn't been realized yet in terms of monetization, that's potentially quite lucrative in the future. Um, so either working on, you know, stuff that I've written myself or, you know, acting or um, lending my hand as an exec producer or producer of other shows. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of in the works. And, and hopefully at some stage that will be realized and turned into, um, into financial gain. But right now it's just uh, planning and, and praying. Let's see. <laughs> I love it. Taking a leap. And it's also just very inspiring that you know, everything you're doing started with what was it, a joke at a table. And I think it's just a good reminder for everyone that nothing is off limits in this world in terms of trying to make a change in your life or try something new. But I want to actually get into the content because your content is pure social satire. And for those listening, if you haven't followed Super Snake, which you must do, a few examples of the content that you've posted is how to spend daddy's money at Coachella. Another one, which was a video of if people in LA were honest. I loved that video. It was, that one was brilliant. <laughs> and having lived in LA, I'm like spot on. And then of course, we cannot forget all these starter packs that you do. So examples of that are Miami fuck fuckboys and wannabe Tulum shamans. And so people obviously resonate for various reasons. But your captions are so on point, as are the the content and the memes themselves. So the big question I have here is, how do you know each topic so intimately? Are you jet-setting around the world and being a part of the very culture that you're making fun of? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes, of course. Um, I think it would be impossible to, to write in such detail um, if I wasn't. Um, and I, and I never shy away from that. I'm never, I'd never declared myself as kind of this, um, investigative reporter that was like incognito going through the scene and kind of trying to expose people. Like this is very much the life that I've been used to for quite some time now. I mean, just even through my family growing up, um, 
in a privileged position. I was able to travel a lot and enjoy a good life because of what my father had had achieved. And um, and then when I started kind of traveling on my own from the age of 18 years old, I naturally kind of, because of my friend group, got into that stuff. So whether it was going to, to LA and Miami and New York and doing Coachella and doing you know, Miami Music Week and blah, 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 all the different things. And obviously within Europe, we've got plenty of things, fashion weeks and making RCBs, all that stuff. So it, it's it's a world and, and a lifestyle that I'm used to. Um, and so it's not that difficult for me to write about. I think it would be pretty nigh on impossible to write about this stuff if you weren't part of it in that sense. I think you couldn't just sit and interview people every single time you want to do a piece of content. And that's why I, I don't cover a lot of topics that I don't know so well. Like I'm not going to do um, Malaysian businessman starter pack. I mean, unless it's about Jolo. Um, so there's, there's obviously topics that I'm not as familiar about. I'm very strong on UK, USA because of my mom um, and because of my travels. And then obviously Greek stuff because of my dad and then also i speak fluent french um so i i understand kind of swiss culture french culture really well as well so i can kind of occupy the headspace of a lot of those types of people and i tend to stick to what i know um although sometimes if i do need help i'll call someone or send them a text and say hey you know what do people say here and what do they wear and where do they go um but most of the time i do it by myself Amazing. So I'd actually love to just dive into your childhood growing up because I don't think we know all that much about you for various reasons. You've kept yourself private and, you know, share as much as you feel comfortable. But growing up, were there expectations on you of what you needed to do with your with your life? You've already mentioned that you come from a, a, a privileged family. So I'd love to know just a bit more of growing up, any expectations, and then how your parents are with you now with what you do. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't really grow up with, with a lot of expectations career-wise, um, especially from my father. There were very little expectations and not, and not in the sense that he didn't expect that I was going to amount to anything. It was more that he didn't apply any pressure. Um, he would always say, just do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy and I'll support you. Um, but my mom, funnily enough, who is the, the American was very much on top of me in terms of my education and making sure I studied as much as, much as possible and, and achieved excellence in my academic life. And then beyond that, she was very strong with me on my career. So that's why initially I went into finance and um, because I thought that that was a job that I needed to do since I went to a great university. And yes, I, I guess for the, for the next, I guess, 10 years of my life, I was between careers and different jobs that were way more serious than this. It's not like I stumbled into making memes initially. Um, I mean, the internet wasn't sophisticated enough back in, you know, 2008 when I started college. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to say it, th there weren't major expectations. I think the, the major pressure and expectations came from just the society gr I grew up in, my friends. So everyone around me was in banking and, and other finance related jobs or shipping or real estate or more traditional industries that we thought we all had to kind of end up in. And people were very competitive about that stuff. Um, and I think they would look down upon you if you weren't working in one of those industries. Um, you know, and there were times in my, in my career where I was, let's say, have, you know, I was working in a more serious job, but I had dreams of potentially being an actor. Um, so I even had feelings back then that I wanted to do something more creative, but I, it would just get shot down by my friends. Like I would bring it up and people would just mock me for it. Um, as if I wasn't even being serious. So it just never even seemed like a viable alternative. So I was always kind of traversing between tech related stuff or alcohol related stuff, or, you know, I tried my hand at real estate and finance and all these different things. So I was kind of this journeyman, just trying different stuff until I kind of realized that my, my strong suit is writing and, and comedy and performing and all that stuff. So. 
very incredible story. So are you still friends with either people that you grew up with or worked with, or has your friend group shifted and changed based on you almost becoming a celebrity in your own right now and being in this creative industry? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a celebrity by any means. Um, no, I, I mean, I still have I, all of my, all my London friends that I was close with, um, you know, after school around university time are all still friends of mine. Maybe not all of them as close as I used to be because we used to have a big group. I mean, we're about 12 or 15 guys that would just do everything together. So that's been condensed, but, um, so yeah, definitely. Um, and of course you, you do accrue new friends along the way. I mean, I do make, make a lot of friends now. I meet a lot of people, but I'm able now to kind of figure out pretty instantly whether they're going to be a friend of mine or not, because, you know, just as you get older, you become more comfortable in your own skin and realize who you want around you. And now I choose to be surrounded by people that inspire me and make me want to work harder and make me, um, feel that feeling of admiration and not be surrounded by people that aren't doing much. Um, and don't fill me with that fire. So I, the, the friends that I've tend to pick up now, mostly in the US, are all doing incredible things and all work very hard. And it's just great to be surrounded by those people. Um, and then I have a smattering of my celeb friends as well that are more just, um, you know, <laughs> you know, just, just like casually. I'm not a celeb, but oh, I I got my celeb friends. It's okay. I understand. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one. I'm not one, but I I do know a lot. I do know a lot of them, but I, I wouldn't consider myself one by any means at all. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll beg to defer on that because you do, you know, fly around the world and, and get to go to all of these incredible galas and events. And like Ultra was just here in Miami and you have the, the best quote unquote seats in the house. So I, I would almost look at it like celebrity of, you know, you get access to things that the normal everyday person might not. So whatever your definition is, but I'd actually like to talk. So your, your page, Leonardo DiCaprio, you do have a lot of famous followers, like, right. The celebs such as Cara Delevingne and Leo makes quite the appearance on your page. So why have you Hmm. chosen him as the ultra representation of super snake uh because i think he he encapsulates he's he's the personification of of the page of the world of the character uh he's so iconic in the scene and iconic outside of the scene i mean he's one of the most famous people on the planet but within the scene he's very very well known and very visible especially now that he's single again and um (laughs) He's on, honestly, and, and, you know, not to name drop, he is, he's a really great guy. I mean, I've hung out with him a bunch of times. He's always been incredibly nice with me. And, um, and I love the fact that he can take a joke. I think that's a really great quality. I think it's something that I'm very good at because I grew up in London, which is a very, very tough scene in terms of getting made fun of. Like you've got to have a real thick skin because everyone is just, you know, ripping you at every possible moment. But it just, it, but that's part of kind of just the English upbringing and, and, and English humor. So he gets it. He can take a joke. Um, yeah, and he's just a hero. I mean, I think he's an incredible actor. I think I, re- I really respect him career-wise. I would love to, to even get close to what he's achieved in his career as an actor. Um, and I respect his integrity. He only does good films. Um, and then within the scene, with you know, in terms of his personal life, of course, yeah, he loves he loves women, he loves models, and he loves, you know, doing all that stuff. But you can't begr- you can't begrudge the guy because every, I mean, if you really kind of asked anybody if they're in his position, I think maybe they wouldn't do it to the same intensity, but I think they would definitely, you know, dabble in in the Leo lifestyle. Um, and yeah, and I think like like I said, the most important thing is that he he likes my sense of humor and he likes when I write about him. So people are always like, oh isn't he going to get offended? And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Because whenever I see him, he just laughs. So it's great. Incredible. So then the follow-up question to that is, have you ever written about someone, whether it's a celebrity or maybe someone that you know, and the story was about them that has got offended and really took it the wrong way? And if so, can you name drop there? Um... Well, I mean, it wouldn't really be interesting for this podcast because it's no one really that you would have heard of, but but definitely. I mean, so I kind of learned my lesson over time in terms of not naming people that weren't 
mega famous. So, you know, DiCaprio and, and a lot of these other celebrities that I talk about, I can mention because they're just used to it. Um, and, and it's fine, but people, specific people in the scene that are, that are known maybe kind of in a niche way within the social scene, but they're not known on a wider scale. I tend not to mention in that light anymore because I've had some bad experiences and, and it's just not worth it. I just realized that at, at a certain point that I didn't want to be that. Cause especially when people started realizing it was me, it's very easy to get my phone number or they already had my phone number or, and it just creates an awkward situation that I just don't want to be part of. And it happened enough times where people would call me and be like, Hey, delete this. And Oh my God, why did you write that? And I just got sick of it. So, um, I don't really do that anymore. Makes total sense. And I, I remember, I, I don't know which post it was, but there was one that my husband showed me and he was like, I know the person that, that super snake is writing about. Oh my God. It was like a London based post. So I think there is also something to be said. I don't know. It's like almost like an honor in ways. I feel like if you're, mm. you're writing, if someone, you know, has a good sense of humor. So over the past few years, you've actually never shown your face while people were actively trying to guess who you were, where you were from. And I personally heard through the grapevines, you were Greek. Like there's been so many talk and, and sharing of like, where did you live? Who are you? How old are you? And now you're actually doing comedy videos. And you've said in other videos, as you have here, that you're getting into acting. So why the change to show your face and also the videos like was it the algorithm was that starting to hurt you or was it just your own desire to finally become public i mean there was no desire for me to become public and that and that was the main reason why i hadn't done that is because i didn't want to have my face out there and and be recognized i mean i don't i i don't enjoy it to be honest i mean I, even just now in miami going to all the the parties here. Now I get random people. I say random still within a, within a party that I'm at, but people will just come up to me and say, Oh, can I get a picture? Or can I, you know, I like your account. And I find, I still find that really strange. <laughs> so, and I don't, I don't like the attention. Um, so no, it's nothing to do with that. And I think a lot of, I know a lot of people write in my comments and send me DMs saying that I'm, you know, fame hungry and, and, and all this stuff and wanted to be a celeb and wanted to be known. And that's just complete rubbish. I mean, it's just not true. Uh, and that was the major reason why I was wearing that ski mask all that time. Um, because I liked the videos and I wanted to do videos, but then I started experimenting with the medium wearing the ski mask and I just found it really uncomfortable. So I find I found myself creating excuses for me not to film the videos because I was so uncomfortable wearing the mask. Um, I remember one time I was filming in Miami at a couple of clubs and, and I hated it. Like I, I, I hated the fact that I looked weird and I was wearing this balaclava. It just wasn't really me and, and I didn't enjoy it. And so I said after that, I was like, look, I really love the act of filming and I love writing the sketches, but I hate wearing this mask. And, um, and that's the main reason. And I think, like I said to you before, I mean, I've been thinking about being an actor for a long time. Um, and it's not something that, that I wasn't doing previously. I mean, I was doing it a lot on my personal page. I was like filming myself and, you know, it's a private page, so only my friends and, and extended friends could see it. But it's just something that makes me happy. And I think when you've been posting memes, like one-dimensional memes, for four years, you just get sick of it. Um, and you need to experiment with different mediums. Otherwise, you're going to become stale. And I think that's the only way to survive in the game is to constantly reinvent and try other formats. And, and I know people, a lot of people don't like it, but that doesn't bother me because I like it. And that's the important thing. And I think I trust my, my, you know, um, my, my feeling for, for the types of content that I should do, because I'm the only one that I've trusted since the beginning. I, mean, I haven't been asking other people for their input. I mean, I've been doing it completely myself. So I'm just going to continue trusting my gut and posting what I, what I want to post and what, what makes me happy. And the videos are definitely part of it, but there's no intention for me to be known or anything. It's just a, just me just enjoying the process. I actually really love and resonate. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will resonate with that of 
so many different things that you just talked about of trusting yourself, trusting your own gut, being willing, like metaphorically, but also literally like taking the mask off. Because I think that we all wear so many masks in different societies or cultures or with our friends or our family. And I think there's something profound in, in what you're doing and what you're sharing and opening up about that, like literally taking the mask off to then be you. And it sounds like you where you are today, like you're confident in you and your answers. And so I'd also love to just get an understanding. How would you describe yourself? The man behind, okay, maybe you're not famous in your words, but the man behind a famous account, how do you describe yourself? Well, um, I, I think just to, just to cover a, a point that you previously made, I think another reason for it is, you know, because I think there was a lot of misconceptions about the type of character that I was because of the type of content I was posting. I mean, this pre-showing my face. And I didn't enjoy the kind of the character depiction that people were coming up with in their heads. And, you know, people would send me these messages, like imagining that I was this like, show off, you know, misogynist, um, money obsessed, blah, blah, blah type of character. And I, I, I would always respond to them, not in a way to kind of deny them and deny this fantasy that they had, but just kind of like, just push, push it to the side and be like, oh yeah, yeah mm, cool. But you know, I would get guys sending me videos of them popping champagne and, and doing all these different things. And it's like, all things that I hate and that I would never, never really do. Maybe I, I did back in 2008, but um, I don't think they realized that I was a quiet, shy in some respects, um, very reserved, very much kind of on the fringes of a party, like never the one to be in the middle and the center of attention, um, a deep thinker and not somebody that's kind of brash and loud and, you know, trying to make a fool of themselves. So, so when you say who is the character behind it, I think all, all of those qualities, I think I'm very quiet, analytical. Um, I say shy, I'm not necessarily shy, but I just, I'm very selective with my social um, interactions. I just know the types of people that are going to make me happy and the types of people I'd want to speak to and, and, and spend time with. And so um, I just tend to be quite selective. So people might mistake it for, for maybe rudeness or shyness, but it's just, um, I just like to preserve my energy and, and, and only kind of give it to the people that, that I think give back. Um, so yeah, it's very, very different to what people would have imagined, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. And even speaking with you now, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm shocked per se, but it's, it's actually quite re refreshing of, you know, someone like yourself who has this big account, who you've monetized it, you're doing amazing things, flying across the world. You're, you, what it seems like is you're part of the very social scenes that you're making fun of. But what I'm hearing is there's a deep understanding of self. And have you done any, you know, quote unquote, self-work, self-development? Or has it just been through growth of, of your own from traveling or whatnot? I, I definitely a tremendous amount. Um, and I think it's incredibly important for everyone to do that. I've been through different things in my life, um, that have, that have shaped me and that I've needed to work through with a, with a professional. Um, but I think also age gets you there. So I'm about to turn 33 in July. And so I feel like, you know, you just get to the stage where you're comfortable in your own skin and, and, um, you start realizing the type of man that you want to be or the type of woman you want to be eventually one day. And, and I think it's just, it's just the way it is. And I don't think I would have been able to cope so well if I was 23 running this page. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but definitely, I mean, there's a lot of people that I speak to, uh, that I have in my life close to me that, that give me support, uh, good friends and family. And then, yes, I mean, of course, I think you need to sit with a therapist um, I don't do it as much as I used to, but I think it's very important. Um, and because especially the world that I work in can be very difficult to handle. I and mean, I think, you know, as well from, from having a big account, you open yourself up to a lot of critique, not just on a daily basis, but on like a, a minute to minute or a second to second basis. People can just send you an abusive thing at any point 
and you have to be ready to deal with it and ready to, and prepared for it. Um, and it's tough. Um, it's tough, especially when you're doing, you know, for instance, the videos that I really enjoy doing and people are like, you're a shit actor or something like that. And, and I, I'll listen to that one voice and I know I'm not because I just know. And I think enough people are enjoying yeah, it. I will confirm to you are not. I think you are a great actor. Yeah. And I think also, and, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm a great actor. Um, this is something that I just started essentially, you know, six months ago or eight months ago. It's something that I always thought I would maybe get into, but I've never had formal training. I've never done an acting class. Um, I have my first audition actually for something soon for, for a real life show. So those people can suck it. I mean, if they think <laughs> I'm a bad actor, then they can tell the casting director of that show. I mean, so it's like, I, I'd rather listen to people like that, people that are willing to give me that, an opportunity to ad- audition for a big show uh, than some random guy on the internet that's just angry and hates himself. And I think you always have to remind yourself of that. You always have to check in and say, look, these people are unhappy. I mean, the fact that they even reach a point where they're going to go and write an abusive message to somebody that they don't even know is bizarre. Um, I've never been in that situation. I've never wanted to write abuse to anybody ever, especially a content creator, because I am one and I understand how difficult it is to make content. If I don't like someone's content, if I didn't enjoy it as much as the previous video, I just won't like it or I won't comment. I don't have to say, hey, Nikki, that video was terrible. I just I just won't like it. And then maybe you'll post another time and I'll really like it and I'll like and I'll comment. I like to be supportive. Um, and I think I like to give good energy out. And if I think something isn't good, maybe if they're a friend of mine and they say, hey, what did you think of my last video? I might say, you know what? It wasn't as good as other ones, but, but I like the fact that you're still posting because a lot of people don't even have the courage to post. So I think it takes a tremendous amount of courage to put your face and yourself out there um, in the form of, of creativity, in the form of content. And you're always going to get haters. But um, I think that's, that's the one thing which, is, which I'm always having to learn to manage is, is that, is critique. Uh, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that's definitely been part of my journey, managing a, an account that's gotten bigger. And it's, it's so fascinating because like Nikki Sharp, the account, it's a brand, Right? Like that's not my personal life. That's what I'm choosing to share to help people to help you grow and change and challenge your own beliefs. And then like when I tell people a photo that I post was one millisecond in a 24 hour day. And so mm-hmm. the very thing you're seeing is not the real life. And at least for me, that's why it's important to share the ups, the downs, the crunchy moments, and especially on this podcast too. But I also really resonate with you say, you know, the acting classes, like everything that I've built, it's self-taught. Like I didn't go to business school. I have fucked up so many, so many times, but yet I always say that like I'm failing forward. I lived in London for many years and I got sued by my ex-manager and my accounting firm was trying to sue me. And so things like that, like building my own websites, taught myself that, taught myself Photoshop, photography. And so I think it's so easy for people to look at someone like you or I, because I'm, you know, more vocal on like my personal life and to say, oh, you know, like, oh, she looks this way. She's perfect. And it's like, no, like I've had to work fucking hard to get here, but I've chosen to learn and grow and challenge myself. And when something goes wrong or I get that bad comment, I ask myself, like, could it be true? And then it's just, and as you said, like surrounding yourself with good people that bring you up. And I just, I resonate so much with everything you're, you're sharing. And I, I wanted to go into something. I think that a lot of people wouldn't know. And this was, you know, I asked you about this before and you were open to sharing, but the fact that you had cancer and I don't think like that's such even saying the word has gravity to it. And so here you are posting these funny memes that people can relate to. But personally, and I'd love to know when in the journey for you, like you're posting these funny things and yet you've dealt with one of the heaviest things someone can go through. So would you mind sharing your journey on that? Of course. And, and this is, this is again, part of the reason why I'm doing things like this, why I'm doing, you know, podcast interviews and I'm doing stuff kind of about my, my personal life to an extent is because I think it's important to understand, um, 
the people are going through stuff that you don't really know is, is happening. So I was diagnosed with cancer, testicular cancer, end of 2019, November. Um, so this is very much during super snake times, right? It was about a year into, into me starting the page. Um, and, and that journey was not a short one. I mean, it was, um, from November until, you know, let's say May, June, the next year that I was doing, you know, over five months of chemotherapy and surgeries and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously you feel the effects of it for some time after. It's not like, um, you just, you're done and it's over. Um, and then obviously I, f- I finished my chemotherapy and then we went into COVID. So that was another thing to deal with was me unable to see people for three months because I had no immune system and it would have killed me. So a lot of challenges. Um, and I think that's why, because during that time I, I felt like producing the content, still trying to laugh would be therapeutic in some way. And I think to some degree it was, but I think it was also very hard because a lot of the time I just wasn't in the mood to be silly and I had, I had really low self-confidence. Um, I was pretty upset and I was pretty sad and um, I felt very lonely. I think I remember one year spending, you know, New Year's alone in my hospital bed getting chemo and seeing all these people posting, having, you know, them having a great time in Brazil and, and whatever. Um, and that was very hard to deal with because you do feel very alone. Um, and yet I was still trying to post stuff. And that's why I think during that period when I got abusive things, like this is shit and you're not funny anymore, you're useless, um, which I did get a lot of, I just wished I could say to them, hey, like I'm right now, I'm like literally strapped up to a chemo bag in my hospital, you know, Um, but people didn't know. And I just, I decided to only share it with, with my personal account. So I was doing these kind of, I did like a diary where I'd where post every every couple of weeks and, and, you know, keep people updated. And that was very useful. Um, but yeah, the, the, the wider following of Supersnake had no idea. Um, and, and, and that's why I would like to, to, to share it with people because I think it's important to know that, you know, you may have been abusing me during a time when I was feeling pretty low and feeling pretty down and pretty much at rock bottom to some degree. I mean, I had no hair, I had no eyebrows. I had, uh, I looked like a cancer patient. I was suffering. I was doing, you know, almost six months of chemo. Um, it was a really tough time in my life. As of course, as you can imagine, I had a surgery to remove my testicle. I was told I may never have children. Um, so you, a lot of things happen. I was told I might lose my hearing which is difficult as a musician. I make music as well. So to hear that was, was obviously not ideal. So you're going through a difficult time. And I think it's, that's why I would encourage the internet trolls to, to think carefully because you never know what someone is going through. Um, and that's another reason why I am sharing this story because, and, and another reason why I would never abuse someone online is because you just don't know what they're going through. And I think it's very important to try and encourage people, you know, give them props for even trying. Maybe, you know, you don't have to say this is shit, but say, hey, I didn't enjoy this, but I respect you for posting it. If you're going to say something negative, but just don't say anything negative. Just give them props when you like it. Uh, and I think it's just important to encourage people to, you know, express themselves and, and feel the freedom to do so. Um, and I'm not just saying this as a content creator, but just as a human being. I think social media can be very, very toxic. And yeah, it was tough. It was tough to to continue to, to be this kind of clowny, funny, silly guy um, while you're going through cancer. It's not easy. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, just <sighs> thank you for sharing that. And of course, and for, you know, encouraging people to show up with kindness and compassion. Like I, I, so resonate with everything you just said. I have not experienced cancer in my own life. And I just, I know even like I I just got back from my honeymoon in the Maldives, a a delayed honeymoon. And, you know, while the photos are gorgeous and beautiful, like we got in some pretty funky fights and it wasn't fun. And here I am like hurting deeply 
and wanting to share about that, but also not wanting to throw my relationship or my partner under the bus. And so I kept quiet about a lot. I opened it up, opened up on a, uh, my last podcast, but it's, I, I get it where it's really challenging where someone's saying something and it's like, but if, if only you knew, you might not mm. say those things. And I, I just find it so profound that you're, you're sharing it in such an eloquent way as well, where it's not like, you know, don't give me hate. Like I, I hear you saying like, all right, you know, I get it. I'm going to, I'm going to receive that, but maybe, yeah. maybe don't do it so unkindly. And so are you, are you cancer free? Are you better now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've been cancer free since, uh, the summer of 2020, uh, which is great. And then I, well, I mean, that's, that's when I finished my treatment and then I was declared cancer free a year after that. So sorry, summer of 2021. Um, and, and since then I, I do have periodic checkups with my, with my doctors, but I'm at the stage now where I only have to get checked up like once a year, which is great. And yeah, um, life continues. I mean, I'm, you know, looking healthy again and back to playing sports and being in a gym and doing all the things that I really missed out on for a while. Um, but there were some, you know, some side effects after that I had to deal with for, for, you know, a year or two and, and some that I still have to deal with, but considering where I was and where I am now, I'm very grateful. Of course. And how did you find out that you had cancer? Like, was it just you started feeling off or was it part of a routine checkup? And I, I asked this because especially in America, the healthcare system is, it's challenging. If you want to go get a head to toe, you know, scan at an MRI and figure like even for your breasts, for women, like you're not told to get a mammogram, I think until you're 40. And I always, at least myself, find it very challenging to, figure out where to start, what to do. So I'm just curious your journey to actually finding out that you had cancer. Yeah, I was, um, it was not a checkup. I was in uh, the US working and just randomly one night, I noticed something in terms of how it felt um, physically in terms of me touching it as opposed to a feeling that I felt within my body and um, was concerned. Uh, but I never, I think in that moment, I started to fear the worst, but I, I didn't seek immediate help. I think it was a couple weeks after when I was back in the UK, um, that as soon as I landed, I went straight to my GP and I said, can you take a look at this? Cause I'm worried. And he pretty much told me straight away. He said, you need to go get a scan immediately. And I said, okay, how immediate? He's like now, right now. And I was like, okay, that doesn't sound encouraging. And then, yeah, I went for, a, for an ultrasound and they told me straight away it was a massive tumor that had just engulfed pretty much 100% of my right testicle, just eaten everything inside. Um, and, so I, and then I got a surgery two days later. So it was a very quick turnaround and then chemo two days after that. Wow. So it was really fast. Yeah, really fast. I had Because it was stage three, so I had to get started ASAP. Yeah. Um, and that's why I do... I, 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 I've warned friends of mine and, and my extended network on my personal account, and I would like to do more stuff on Super Snake. Is you know, testicular cancer is is the most common cancer amongst young men, and it's really hard to detect. I mean, I had a massive tumor in my testicle, and I had no idea, and it had been growing for three or four months, and I had no idea. Um, and something that I say to men, which you know. Um, it is important to mention is that it wasn't like I wasn't sexually active. I, I was sexually active and still didn't realize. And that's, it, that's worrying because people were like, Oh, surely you would have realized if you were having sex. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was, and I didn't notice it. It was just, you just, you, you never think to just, um, to like squeeze your ball every day. It just doesn't, it doesn't enter your headspace. And I know a lot of people, since they heard about my journey have been very, very careful. And now, you know, an unfortunate side effect is I get friends coming to me and saying, Oh my God, I think I feel something. And I'm like, relax, go see a doctor if you're really concerned, but they kind of want me to kind of examine them. Um, and I'm not an expert, but yes, I think it's really important for, for men of, of, of my age and kind of, you know, anyone in their mid to late twenties, early thirties to, to just be aware and to, to maybe get a checkup once in a while. Or just try and do a self a self checkup, um, you know. And now I'm entering the the danger zone for for other forms of cancer, um, 
you know, in terms of like prostate and other stuff. So I'm starting to get checks on that too, because I'm just, now that I've been through it, I, I'm very realistic and I have a history of that in my family. So I really don't want lightning to strike twice. So, yeah. And so has your, your lifestyle changed at all since, since cancer? Like, do you drink? Do you not drink? Do you eat certain things? How has that just changed the way that you go about living day to day? Um, that's hard to say. I think, I think initially when I found out because of, um, because of my, both my, my mom's sisters are nutritionists and they're kind of hardcore. Um, and so I went vegan for about five months, which I really didn't enjoy. And <laughs> I had a craving one day for, for randomly, I wanted avocado toast with poached eggs. That's what I wanted to break my veganism. And I did that. And, um, and I kind of haven't looked back since. I really enjoy eating eating meat and eating fish. I'm Greek, and so it's it's been such a part of my diet from a kid is eating fresh fish and and good meats and all that stuff. So I haven't changed kind of diet wise. I've always been I've always been really healthy. That's the thing. I've I've always been very aware of nutrition um, through my mom and through my mom's sisters, uh, and I've always eaten healthy. I've always been aware of exercise and eating well. So I never really had, it wasn't like my lifestyle was reckless. Um, and I, and I do drink once in a while, but I wouldn't say I drink a lot. I, I, what I, what I say to people now is I don't do like gratuitous drinking, drinking for the sake of it. It's like, Oh, we're out on a Tuesday having dinner. Let, why don't we just get a margarita? I don't do that anymore. Um, not that I was doing that a lot, but I've really kind of cut that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't as if this was coming. It wasn't like someone looked at me and thought, well, he was really unhealthy. He was bound to get it. I was, I was in great shape. I was working out a lot. I was healthy. So this is another reason why it's important to warn people because it can happen to anybody. Um, it's, it's just the disease that comes at you from nowhere, um, even if you're in great condition. So, I, yeah. I mean, again, I so appreciate you sharing this. And I do think that you using your platform to share and help people to at least have more awareness around it. And I do think that, you know, in life, some of the biggest challenges that we go through end up being our greatest teachers or gifts. Like I, I went through two eating disorders that wreaked havoc on my life and body dysmorphia. I was addicted to Ambien because I couldn't sleep. I tried everything under the sun, terrible skin since I was a little kid. And I remember a, a dermatologist, I'd been on Roaccutane or Accutane three times and mm -hmm. which is a, a horrible, horrible drug to be on, but it's, it works. And after the third time yeah. she said, you're an unlucky one. You might just have to be on it for the rest of your life. No one had ever asked me, you know, what's your diet, like your lifestyle, your stress levels. And so the very challenges that I went through growing up and overcoming ended up being, as I said, the greatest gifts because now I get to help other people through awareness to change their life. And so I do think that there is something to be said when we get caught up in the story of why me? Why, you know, why did this happen mm. to me? Rather than looking at it of, well, if I can get through it, maybe I can help someone else. So it's it sounds like you're kind of in that place, which is really, really inspiring and very beautiful. What I'd like to do though is change gears going back to the account, but also just everything you do, the satire of society, high, you know, high society. What would you say is your greatest criticism of our generation and the current zeitgeist or the cultural era of the times that we live in? So, so not, not just necessarily within high society, just in, in general. I would say high in society, society. Yeah. In high, wider high society. society. High society, and, comma, and in general society? Um, I'll start with high society. I think what's valued in high society is, is skewed. Um, and what I mean by that is characteristics that should be admired are not. And I think character, characteristics that are admired should not be. And what I mean by that is to kind of make it in this world, you've got to be very rich or very famous or very influential in some way. And it's really, and that could be at the expense of being a good person, being kind, generous, compassionate, all those good qualities we kind of mentioned before. And we've touched upon, if you're really rich, no one cares. 
it's like you can be the biggest asshole you can be the biggest like uh, you know you can be a, the, the worst guy to have in the room the worst energy but people will still want to hang out with you because you're really rich and i think that's something that i've learned to loathe about it is that people kind of excuse bad behavior just because someone's famous or or rich um or beautiful you know so it could be if someone's a really handsome guy or a sort of girl is really beautiful she kind of just gets caught blanche and gets to do whatever she wants she can be a terrible person it doesn't really matter um and i have always found that difficult to deal with in this world um so that's yeah that i guess that's the main thing about high society um and then why does society i really hate what's happening with with social media um i think there's and i know i know it's kind of ironic coming from a guy that's made his living off social media but i i i see how it's developed over time and how it's become such an integral part of people's lives and i think there's a lot of good that can come of it i think there's two things that i dislike i think i d- dislike the way that the social networks are policing their platforms um someone like me who is a satirist comedian humorist whatever however you want to call it is constantly treading on eggshells about what type of content that i can post um and i think we've kind of entered the realm of satire being it's just not understood um by 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 ai by uh by by computer i think i think it's such a such a human thing and i think there's so many nuances within it that ai just doesn't do it justice and i think that's a shame i think it's i think we're seeing the slow death of comedy um and i don't think that google and meta are doing a very good job at maintaining its integrity and i think that's why all the comedians that i know and uh, and the big comedians that i respect are going and just doing live shows or going on to rumble or releasing content on their own website or working with streaming partners that are able to give them the the platform i mean some like south park is my favorite show and comedy central and and paramount somehow gives them carte blanche but everyone always says well they're south park it's different but it shouldn't just be because they're south park like anybody should be able to post that content um so that's a shame um and and then i think yes people's you know addiction to social media in the wrong ways is 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 trouble is troubling like what you said before about how you were in your honeymoon you, you didn't feel like you want, you could be authentic because you didn't want to ruin people's fantasy or like oh nikki's in the maldives she must be having the best time <laughs> and i think i think it's time for people to be just more honest about how they're feeling and 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 that's why i did i i mean i think this platform died i forget the name of it but it's like the one where you couldn't use filters and you had to like post at a specific time every day like things like that should be encouraged more um and I, I don't know. I just see it from a male's perspective. Like I don't know any of my friends that use filters or that airbrush their photos or all these different things. But I would love for girls to be more confident in their own skin. I think I, I find natural beauty very attractive. I find girls that don't wear makeup even more attractive than the girls that do. And girls can't understand it because they just think I'm being dishonest. But it, it's true. Like I, if I go on a date with a girl and she's caked up and wearing red lipstick, I. I find that unattractive. I think girls should be should celebrate how they really look. Um, and I think the whole Kardashian culture has skewed everything. I don't want everyone to look like Kylie Jenner. I don't want everyone to look like a, a filter on um, FaceApp. And that's what I'm seeing on social media now. It's like all, <laughs> all these girls are aspiring to that beauty standard, which is just, I, I don't, it's not even attractive. Um, so I think that's a big problem is how social media is affecting young girls and young people in general couldn't agree more with, I mean, everything you just said. And it's interesting. I get asked a lot, like, why do I use filters? And I use them because I find them creative. Uh, Sure. There are days where I don't feel pretty and I want to do a story and there's, you know, something that like enhances something. I, I don't use filters that, you know, enhance my lips and all, and all of that. And, and I will get called out like, oh, why don't you like not use them? I'm like, but I do. You guys just don't re- like because I look very similar with the filter without it. But it's if it, for me, it's also like a creative expression. I find it fun at times. And I was a, a model traveling the world for much of my well, not much of my life, a few years of my life. And like, I know what Photoshop is. I know all of that. And like, I was actually thinking about that from my Maldives trip where 
I personally love aesthetics of like a beautiful photo where sure, they've enhanced the colors, they've popped the saturation. So that's what I do on my photos. I've, I never touch anything in my body or this. And, and I'm the first to be like, I got the stretch marks, the tiger, you know, all the things. And for me, it's more of like the aesthetic just because I like art. But I also agree with you full heartedly. It's, it's terrifying to see people going in and wanting to look like, you know, cloned copy. And I'm seeing it in, you know, Hollywood more and more where it's like Megan Fox and, and Kim Kardashian, like they almost look like the same person now. And I'm like, that's mm. crazy to me. When did we lose our, our sense of identity? But I, I also understand it because there's so much comparison now and people wanting to look like so-and-so. So what I'd like to do here, a few rapid fire questions. So these are just going to be quick, quick question, quick answer. You ready for it? Okay. All right. So question number one, what is the most overhyped travel destination right now? God, sorry. (laughs) I have to think about that one. Uh, Or you can give me more than one answer. What's overhyped? Or like where everyone, like I'll give you an example. At least when I was coming up with this question, I I remember Maybe going I, to I, I, tell me. Good. I was I was going to say something like Courchevel because I just I just hate skiing. Um, and then I was saying maybe I'm going to get criticized for it, but I think maybe Saint Tropez is overhyped. Yeah. Um, I, I just well, don't and, think and it's actually, that great. Sorry, I, we we keep talking at the same time. The, part of the when I was coming up with this question, and I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but I, I it actually in a follow up question, it was like since Cannes and Saint Tropez are no longer the glitz and glam of what they used to be, and I remember going there many many years ago, and it was it was still that glitzy glam like old school Hollywood feel. And then I went a few years later and there were photographers in the water on the beach of Cannes where you could pay them to take your photo. I'm like, no, we, no, it's done now. It's dead. And Centro paid the same thing. So I, I was like, God. Tulum, for example, is one is for me. I think it's done. It's not, it, it's sure it's magical, but like, and then you make fun of Tulum a lot in, in your, your content and memes. So that being said, what do you think is the next big travel destination, let's say for the, the high society? Um, I would say Andiparos in Greece. Got to stay tell me with more. my country. Tell me more about it's this a, place. It, it's a cute, it's a cute little island, which is just off, off Paros. So in, in Greece, you'll see it a lot with the Greek islands. You have the island and then the Andi island, because I think it means behind behind or next to um and it's it's a cute little island with great restaurants a nice town um with it has a has a pizzeria which is like one of the best pizzas i've ever had um and it's just beautiful and it's nice and charming and it has that greek authenticity that that you search for that maybe greece has lost uh, sorry mykonos has lost just by you know with all that tourism and all those brands coming in and the big hotels and it's and it's very close to Mykonos, so I think that's one which is which is potentially very impressive. And their international airport is opening this year, so Paros is going to have an international airport, so you're going to be able to fly from the UK and from other destinations. And so the more and more that that builds, I think it could be a really viable alternative. And do you think the the jet setters will go, you know, with their yachts and things like that, or it's more of the low key hotspot? Yeah, so the jet setters are already going to to Paros. I'm hearing, yeah. so I have I have some friends that are in the kind of you know elite fashion gay community, and they love Paros and Paros already, and they tend to be the trendsetters. And they're like, oh my god, I really wish, I really hope no, like none of the trash on Mykonos hears about <laughs> Paros and Paros. So they know that it's cool. They know that it's nice and charming and and paros has like a great town with great restaurants and a bit of nightlife so and the fact that you have two islands that are kind of very different but right next to each other um is great so yeah i think those two will be will be big in the next few years amazing i i actually lived in athens when modeling and had a job over at idra and then did mm. a whole big 
kind of not sailing, but at, on a, a yacht for three months and went all through the islands and Corfu. So I'm a, a, a big fan of the smaller islands, like sure, Santorini, gorgeous, once in a lifetime go. Mykonos, eh, for me, been a few times, like take it or leave it. And especially I think what it is now, but okay, our rapid fire, which I'm also contributing to making it not rapid. Next question is South of France or Amalfi Coast? Uh, Amalfi Coast. Okay. And why? I think I would have said, I definitely would have said France when I was 18. Uh, I just, like we said, Cannes, I think is completely dead. Other than the film festival, I would never go. I mean, it just, it would never even enter my mind to go. Um, I think, I still think Saint-Tropez has some nice qualities, but I just, I think the the beach is horrendous. Uh, I think a lot of the crowd is horrendous. And I would rather spend my summer in Greece um, or, you know, I haven't tried Turkey, but I've heard Turkey is also nice. Um, that to me appeals more. Great beaches, great food, not paying 500 euros for a, for a pasta um, and a bottle of rosé on the beach. I just, I, you kind of get sick of it and you're just surrounded by people that you don't really want to see anyway. So I think, yeah, South of France is just less and less interesting to me. So Amalfi Coast, have you been and explored and, and, done that whole scene yeah i did it um I, I mean i've been many times over the years but i went last year sorry two years ago for about two or two and a half weeks um and a friend of mine was generous enough to invite me on his boat that he chartered and we had an amazing time i mean you know going through you know capri positano um and we actually started in croatia and went all the way down and it was it was great um we did sicily we visited the hotel where white lotus is filmed um, wow. This is before White Lotus was filmed there. So um, I was I was kind of watching the show and I was like, wait a second, I've been here before. Um, but yeah, I, I do like Italy. But I, I, I also think like France, it can be overpriced and a bit overhyped. But I do think the Italians are just incredible at food. So it's worth going just for that alone. 100%. It's a different I, type of beauty. Yeah. I, I'm biased because I got married in Capri, Anna Capri, this summer. And I mean, just nice. the food alone was, a, oh my God, I'm like, I drool every time I think about it. All right. If you had to choose to be one, a London fuckboy or wannabe Tulum shaman? I mean, I already am a London fuckboy. So. <laughs> <laughs> epic, epic. All right. Last one for the rapid fire. 33rd birthday. What are you doing? Um, I'm not sure exactly, but I'll be, I'll most probably be in Mykonos. That's where I tend to spend the whole summer. I have a very different opinion of Mykonos because I've been going there my whole life. We used to have a house there. My family had a house. My family has been going to Mykonos since the fifties. Wow. So to me, it's, it's my actual Greek home, even more so than Athens. I spend a lot more time in Mykonos than Athens. So I will be there.